0: I. V. M.
1: Hi, we're Team Splano. Welcome to an all-new episode of Press Decode, a weekly podcast where we take Splano's mission to be trapped in the news one step further. Check out our newsletter for more stories and follow us at In to keep up with all the fun things we planned for our Splainer fam. So sit back, relax and don't let the news give you the blues. Welcome back after a sort of long break. The long weekend we were delighted about on our last episode ended up in two of us falling super sick. So sorry about that. Anyway, today it's just me, Sarah, the in-house grumps and Vagda, the self-declared glimmer of positivity. We hope you have fun.
0: As always, we have three segments for you. In our big story, we talk about the ongoing campaign against selling meat in parts of the country. Here we look at the convergence of religion, identity, class and money that are at the centre of this campaign. In our Food for thought segment, we try to wrap our heads around what sets Naika apart from other startups and what may bring it down. Finally, we'll be roasting and toasting our fave and least fave items.
1: Alright, let's begin with our big story. Earlier this week, Ahmedabad became the latest city to clamp down on stalls and roadside vendors selling meat. It issued an outright ban on meat selling carts in public places. The reason they were public bad smell, especially from morning walkers, residents visiting religious places, and parents, as these were leaving negative impacts on minds of young children. Yes. Okay. Do with that what you may. This is part of a growing and often violent movement based on the assumption that meat offends Hindu sentiments. The Hindutva right wing has long been hostile to eating or selling meat. But in recent years, this hostility has turned into demands for outright bans. Just last week, Vadodara banned all public displays of meat in stalls and restaurants. The reason? It has to do with our religious sentiment. The non-vegetarian food should not be seen. In Delhi, a member of a Hindutva group forced a biryani seller to shut shop during Diwali, saying, Don't you know that today is a festival for Hindus? Today is Diwali. Is this Jama Masjid? Total Hindus live here. Okay, <laughs> valid logic. I, I love the quotes that these people give me. The pattern was the same during Navratri in Gurgaon, Faridabad and other parts of the city. In March, Gurgaon imposed a new rule on ordering meat, like ordering meat shops to close on Tuesdays. A day when many North Indian Hindus often abstain from eating non-vegetarian food. So if this is what's up, who eats meat in India and who sells it?
0: See, for an urban consumer, even if that Tuesday ban thing happens, you can still order meat from Licious, fresh to home and other such online businesses, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, many of these are owned by well-educated upper class Hindus. In Gurgaon, which has that Tuesday meat ban thing, food hall and other supermarkets can still sell meat. So, who is really made to shut shop for even a day is the small retailer, typically Muslim or those from scheduled castes. And restaurants can serve non-veg on Tuesdays too, because that doesn't hurt religious sentiments for Hindus. You know what (laughs) else doesn't hurt Hindu sentiments? This one is a history lesson. Did you know that in the Vedic and post-Vedic period, Indian masses, including Brahmins, used to consume beef. In an interview with the Quartz, Kancha Ilaya said that in South India, Dalits sustained themselves on beef in the summers, which is when there used to be massive food insecurity. They would even resort to consuming dead or diseased cattle to sustain. He said that... Wow. Yeah. He said that currently, the two main communities that refrain from eating any meat are Brahmins, particularly South Indian Brahmins, and Baniyas, the merchant class. That the cultural imposition of vegetarianism has its roots in Jainism and in later Shaivite tradition with Shankaracharya starting a vegetarian campaign amongst Brahmins to counter the theory of violence in Buddhism.
1: Ooh, that is interesting
0: to say the least. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what else doesn't hurt Hindu sentiments? (laughs) Beef exports. So, Buddhism taught you not to kill other animals and eat them, but it did teach you to kill and sell. Uh, Ever since the advent of the NDA government, beef exports have been, wait for it, increasing. Yeah, I bet you didn't expect Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) So, 2014-15 was the year that saw the maximum increase. There was a small dip in 2015-16, but since then, until 2020-2021, it had been marginally increasing. Cut to last year when the export fell to a decade low, but that was not because of sentiments. That was because the demand dipped. Shh, don't say these things out loud, Raghada. Damn, already done. And who are the biggest names in meat export? Four out of six companies on top are owned by Hindus. One being father to ace shooter Abhinav Bindra. Yep. Big surprise, they're not asked to shut shop on Tuesdays.
1: I'd just like to see Hindutva brigades just react to this information. (laughs) They will not acknowledge it. it. treat. Like, how are you going to cancel Abhinav Bindra? Anyway. Okay, so this is evidently not about meat. So then how did we get here? Well, there is a growing stereotypical view of the Muslim meat eater. Humra Qureshi in the National Herald explains it brilliantly, so I'm just going to quote her. It started off by spreading the notion that the Muslims devour meaty chunks and kebabs all day. Mind you, this propaganda that all Muslims go about with the big fat boaties tucked in rotis has been gaining ground, portraying them as a modern day core or cannibals. And this is perpetuated even by the RSS, who internally paint Muslims as cow killers. And all this is based on a clearly false notion that only non-Hindus consume meat, specifically beef. So this just goes to normalize the kind of crime that happens in the name of meat-eating.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: So going back to the stereotype, I'm going to point out just how pervasive and normalized this notion is in our everyday life. Think Bollywood. Seemingly harmless, right? Yep. Sure, minus all the sexism, of course. Oh, yes. I not know that. <laughs> that we <But> have- <laughs> oh, God. But have you noticed the blatant Islamophobia? If not, allow me. I'm going to draw your attention only to the portrayal of meat consumption, though, because the whole gamut of an anti-Muslim rhetoric would be a whole episode in itself. Anyway. In the movie, Mani Karnika, the Queen of Jhansi, that stars the Hindutva Brigade's Sassanite child, Kangana Ranaut, who plays the role of Rani Lakshmi Bhai, there's a scene showing a soldier snatching a calf to kill for steak, only to be reprimanded by Ranaut's character who says, learn to respect the people and the sentiments of the land you're standing on. Also, I, I don't know, this is my internal bias every time I read these quotes. I go into troll voice, if you've noticed, since the beginning of the episode. <laughs> I just have a troll voice when I say these quotes. Ignoring that. Uh, but more blatantly, however, was the superhero film of 2018, Padma that used Food is a differentiation between the brute Muslim ruler Alauddin Khilji and the pious Hindu Rajput king, Maharawal Ratan Singh. So you'd see the manic Sultan Khilji with long hair, a battle-scarred face, baring his teeth as he chomps on massive chunks of meat. On the other hand, Queen Padmavati's husband, the good Hindu king, Maharawal Ratan Singh, by contrast, eats from a plate and several tiny bowls. And the camera never comes close enough to show us what he's eating. But regardless, it is all eaten very daintily. So it's definitely not made. And don't even get me started on the lighting used for both characters. I think through the movie, you would see Shahid Kapoor's mm. character. It's all sunshine and rainbows and oh my God. Yeah, but very somehow. Tones. Exactly. But somehow for anveer Singh, it's like they decided that part of the film was in prehistoric times where all they had was one tiny fire to light an entire room because it was mm. completely dark and just going to perpetuate what they thought about both characters. Yeah. If you want to read more about this Bollywood stereotyping, Sohini Chattopadia has a fascinating piece in the New York Times that I will link below. Anyway, we clearly know that religion and caste may not be the drivers behind the sale or consumption with meat. But it is definitely an important factor behind the construction of stereotypes that end up in hate crime.
0: Yeah, and it's so surprising. Like at this point, I'm thinking there was so much furore against Padmaavat For what? Exactly. They're literally
1: making the stereotype that you want. What are you outraging against? This is why I said your whole section about the exports and the, like the, the numbers behind the exports. we very fascinating to see because let's be real. Honestly, this is not even about a right-wing outrage. Most outrage is just without any basis, right? Where you don't know the whole story. So it's very fascinating to know who owns stuff, who sells stuff. That's when you know that most of your outrage is worth nothing. Yeah. It's like that Uncle
0: G standing outside mainland China key, <laughs> China.
1: <laughs> oh my God, that reminds me there was a bunch of people who even through TVs from like their balconies and all, no? Because it was Chinese products. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... Oh, it was so funny. Uh.
0: I don't know, I think it's just like posturing after a while, no? It is only posturing, let's be real. We've had, like, successive two governments now. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, on that note, we come to the end of this segment. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to Press Decode on the IVM Podcasts Network. Hello and welcome back to Press Decode on the IVM Podcasts Network. We're team Splainer and make sure you follow us at in on Instagram and Twitter to keep up with the Splainer fam. We're now ready for some food for thought. Biggest news last week, guys. The Nika IPO made waves. This is the first ever female-led unicorn, which is basically a company with a valuation of $1 billion or higher, to launch an IPO in India.
1: What? What, you know, a lot of people will think you shouldn't have to explain what a unicorn is. But I'm one of those idiots who, like, three years back, was like, what? Unicorn? It's like, I genuinely did not know, like, it's like, oh, anyway.
0: I mean, that's the it's point just... of the splainer, right? So, it raised 53.52 billion rupees to become the 51st largest company in India, with a market capitalization of 1.03 trillion. This is Even bigger than Godrej and Coal India. You know how old those companies are? My God. Maybe that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So obviously, this is a great, great feat. Only 5 out of 136 Unicorn founders are women. Unlike Zomato and other disruptive startups, Nykaa is actually profitable with a net profit of 620 million rupees in the last financial year. And last year was pandemic year. Palguni Nair, the founder of Naika, still owns the majority stake in her company, which has made her the 17th richest person in India and the second richest Indian woman billionaire. The fact that Nair still owns 53% of the stake in her company is amazing, you know. Because the other startups like uh, Zomato and Paytm, the stake of the founder in those is down to 5.5% in Zomato and 15% in Paytm. So, what really sets it apart how how is how is it so how it become so big
1: and how is nair so successful so like Vata pointed out the ipo in itself was a watershed moment especially for women founders in the country but the more fascinating bit about nika is the product itself it went from just about 60 daily orders at launch to more than thousand orders within mere months Today, it has jumped to around 70,000 orders where at least 70% of business comes from repeat customers. So how did Nayar set up this online empire? Well, the first was of course identifying a major gap in the market. The beauty needs of the average Indian woman were just not being met. Let's be real, as recently as in 2010, I remember having to go to the Paswala ladies store that somehow kept everything from underwear to bangles to makeup to sindoor to bindis to heck even craft supplies.
0: Mm -hmm, That's true. I know a shop like this right now.
1: Exactly, right? Basically anything that this market of ladies needed. Anyway, the problem here was that you had limited options, no samples and well, honestly, no proof of authentic products either. Your only option other than this, and that's if you lived in a city with malls, was hoping your West Sides and Shopper Stops had products you were looking out for. Or if there was a little more privilege, then we also had the choice of asking our resident NRI relatives. But that was it. Mm. Naika came in and disrupted this ecosystem. Nayar, while describing her mission, knew she was on to something big and hence stuck to pricing her products pretty smartly. She said, and I quote, and this is, I think one of the most kick-ass quotes that I've read off her from like all the stories, the flurry of stories that happened recently. We didn't want to be a discount store. We'd rather sell the right color of lipstick at full price than the wrong shade at half off, which would make the buyer unhappy within minutes of wearing. And honestly, we've all been there, right? For the right shade of lipstick.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: And this is definitely working for Nike. As of 2020 to 2021, Tier 2 and Tier 3 cities contributed to a whopping 64% of the company's revenue, which sounds insane. But mm. then again, women there are pressed for options, and Nika is just what they need. Yeah. And helping the product even more was its interesting marketing strategy, where they identified something called community driver marketing in the pre influenza era. They basically developed a loyal network of bloggers and content creators who received commissions on sale, ah. And over time, they also roped in social media influencers and big Bollywood names like Katrina Kaif and Janhvi Kapoor to market their brand on a more personal level. So to top up the convenience, there was also a sense of aspiration that was being addressed. Ah, yes. Sounds like Nike is the place to be. Yes, I'd like to invest in Nike. It's not sweat equity. What do you
0: Ah, you that there are issues plaguing Naika that it hasn't done much about. Uh, let me tell you. Oh, no. <laughs> In 2020, the Instagram account Diet Sabya, best known for calling out fashion copycats, uh, accused Naika of a toxic work environment. Some examples that Diet uh, Sabya made public were how one CXO at Naika routinely r- made rape jokes like it's not like she would get raped. She probably got molested because she's so voluptuous. Yeah. CXO also made fun of an employee's mental health, saying her mom should just slap her out of depression. And economical status. Oh, she travels in a local train. She brings such tacky lunch dabbas with a bunch of other employees. And there were also a few instances of sexual harassment by male colleagues. So, um, do you still want to invest your sweat here, Sarah? I'm out. (laughs) Naika claimed zero tolerance for body shaming, racism or any offensive comments as a company. And then what? What? In July 2020, The Wire wrote about how little Naika did to improve the work culture. There was barely anything. Basically, that's what I'm getting to. Not just that. There are Twitter and Reddit threads of people accusing Naika of selling fake and expired products. When they contacted Nykaa, the company came up with the standard answer that we are authorized distributors and we don't sell fakes. Now, this customer once ordered a Maybelline Colossal Kajal and the expiry date had been cut off from the label. And when she contacted the customer care they and left a review about it on their website, they asked her to remove the review and said that they will refund her if she does.
1: There goes me going gaga with the promise of authentic product.
0: Yeah... But then there was also news of seizure of some illegal beauty products in Bhivandi, this warehouse of uh, NaiKa, where in 2019, Maharashtra's state drug regulator seized lipstick, gel eyeliner, highlighter and other such cosmetics manufactured by an unlicensed Virar firm named bellezza Italia. This company whose license was surrendered in 2018.
1: Arith, you said Italia, Yeah, sounded authentic. That's why Naika got it wrong. I mean, the
0: drug regulator is doing your due diligence. Naika literally said FDA brought it to our attention that the manufacturing license of one of our partner brands had expired. Why? Is this the drug regulator's job to tell you? Shouldn't you know this? Anyway, I think this comes as like part and parcel with a business that grows too fast. Remember the black box uh,
1: PR nightmare with uh, Airbnb? Oh yeah, you should definitely like anyone listening, you should definitely check out our explainer on it. It's horrifying. I think the good takeaway from this
0: is that now that the IPO is here, hopefully there will be more accountability and these things may happen less. Or if they happen, it will reflect in the stock price of uh Nika and maybe there'll be some changes.
1: I think this is good to know, right? In terms of because all the recent reportage was just everyone going gaga over it. It's good to be aware that there are two sides to Every success story, so to say. Yeah. Anyway, with that, we come to the end of our second segment. We will be right back after a short break. You're listening to Press Decode on the IBM Podcast Network.
0: Welcome back to Press Decode on the IBM Podcasts Network. It's time for our final segment this week, Roast or Toast. Sarah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. Yeah, thank you. Okay, don't hate on me for making this my least fav item. I have my reasons, okay? Uh, Just. uh. So, Julia Hurricane Hawkins is a 105-year-old Louisiana teacher who, wait for it, became the first athlete in her age category to run a 100-meter dash. Her time, a minute, 2 seconds, and 95 milliseconds. And her response after setting the record It was wonderful to see so many family members and friends, but I wanted to do it in less than a minute. (laughs) Me, a 21-year-old, doesn't need to be shown my place as an unfit sloth by someone who is literally five times my age. It hurts everywhere. Oh my God. I did the math. (laughs) It's just painful.
0: I know. I'm I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you totally. I hate this item as well. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but well, I have a fave item of this week, and this was from um, our smart and curious section, uh, which is the one on Wednesday. Uh, it's for all the folks that got dumped or whose boo was Bevafa. <laughs> 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 Two young men in Patna, jilted by their lovers, opened a tea shop called Bevafa Chaiwala. A cup of tea there costs you 15 rupees generally, but if you got dumped, Expect a 5 rupee discount. What is not to like about this story?
1: Oh man, today's episode has just been about market disruptors, no? Yeah. From Naika to Bebafaa Chaiwala. Yes. Anyway, mm. that was our show this week. Thank you so much for joining us on Press Decode. You can catch us every Thursday on the IVM Podcast Network. And guys, please remember, don't let the news give you the blues.